It is hard to believe that we are wrapping up our series on Thanksgiving. I know that Thanksgiving was a great day for my family. We got together with my niece and and some other friends, and we got to get together down at the Moody Gardens Hotel, and they have a big spread down there. And it was just so much fun to see family again after after really months and months of not seeing them. And so I had much to be thankful for this last Thanksgiving. I know you did too. Hopefully uh, you're recovering from the turkey coma and you're feeling more, more alive and more vibrant today. But as we look down the road, it's hard to believe that 2022 is almost over. Think about it. It's almost done. You know, we were talking about how we had these things, oh, here's going here's gonna to be summer, and now we're going to work here and not work here, and then we're going to go over here. And now all those things have finished. There's only Christmas left, really, to, to get together with the family. And then 2023. But I want you to remember this. Long after the turkey has digested and long after we put the Christmas trees up and take them down, store the decorations and move into a new year, long after all that's over, the attitude of gratitude does not have to end. See, Thanksgiving is about having an attitude that says thank you to God. Thank you for what you have, what he's blessed you with, what he's given you. Uh, I've even known people to say, I am grateful that I went through this difficult period this year because in the midst of that difficulty, I saw the work of God in my life. And sometimes God allows those difficulties to come into our life so that we can see his goodness and his grace. Amen. He allows those changes to happen in our life so that we can know just how blessed we are, just how blessed we are to have the friends we have. I called a friend of mine last night and he's going through a particularly rough time in his life. He was a pastor, but now at the age of 65, he can no longer serve. Not because he's not capable, but because where he happens to live, they consider 65 to be too old to pastor, too old to be useful in the kingdom. They want somebody younger, more vibrant, more alive. And I'm thinking to myself, my friend is vibrant and alive, and he knows the gospel and he preaches the gospel, but they want someone to, to fit a certain demographic. But still in the midst of that, I remind him, you are a servant of God. You are a child of God. You have a lot to be grateful for. So I thought about today. I said, you know what? Things go sometimes good. Things sometimes go bad in the year to come. But every year, you know, some kind of trial is going to happen. No matter what happens, I want you to remember this, church. Write it down. Two important principles to remember if you want a life full of gratitude. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with good looks. It has nothing to do with your house, your cars, or any of the other things you possess. What are the two things, what are the two principles that we hold to to give us an attitude of gratitude? The first is this. You need to stay on track. You need to stay on track. When you're in school, everything is divided into semesters. Everything happens in a certain schedule. You make this achievement, that achievement. You graduate, you're done. But then you go out in the world and you have to start living your life. So pay attention to this, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 1, I want to show you how to maintain that attitude of gratitude. Psalm 119, as you know, is the longest psalm in the entire Bible. It is tremendously large. Each section of the uh, 119th Psalm is divided into Hebrew letters. The first is Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew 
alphabet. It is also the start, the letter that starts the first word of that section. So he's going to go through this acrostic to do the entire Hebrew uh, alphabet. And it's going to start with this. Psalm 119.1. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their hearts. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to, my, to keeping your statutes. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. We're going to come right back to that in a minute. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. So he ends that with a plea. Lord, because I am committed to you fully, Never abandon me. No matter what you are going through, physically, mentally, emotionally, God will never abandon you. The only time we see an absence of God in our lives is when we have wandered away, when we have turned our hearts to our problems and not to our problem solver. So let's go back and look at this again. The first thing you see is it begins with two words. How happy are those whose way is blameless and happy are those who keep your decrees. Now this word happy is not the word like happy, yippy, skippy, feeling joyful today. That's not the word that's here. This is the word blessed. This is the word blessed. Whether you are a lucky person or whether or whether you are um, unlucky, whether things are going good or going bad, you can be blessed not because you worked for it, but because God bestows it. You have the knowledge of who God is, what he is doing, what he has done in the past and what he's doing in the future. You have that knowledge. Therefore, you do not have to worry. You know, the apostle says, I am confident that the God who began a good work in you will see it through unto completion. Do you know that God's not done with you? No matter how old you are, whether you are working or not working, whether you never leave the house or only occasionally leave the house, God is not done working on you. What is the greatest work that we can do, whether we're at home or in a hospital bed or, or in behind the counter of a store like me? The greatest work you can do is praise the Lord. Look at this. How happy are those whose way is blameless. Blameless does not mean you don't mistake, that you don't make mistakes. Blameless means you are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not acceptable to God because we are perfect. We are acceptable to God because he has found us blameless because of Jesus Christ, because of that blood atonement that wiped away all of our sins. So those who live in the Lord's instruction... Do we saturate our day with the Lord's instruction? Do we fill our mornings and afternoons and evenings with remembering what God has said to us? Somebody once said, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. But I'm telling you this, if you don't know the promises of God, you can't stand on them. God has made many promises to his people, to how he will act, what he will do, where he will take them, how he will lead them. He's made all those promises throughout the Old Testament, summing up in the person of Jesus Christ. But if you don't know his word, you don't know the promises. Therefore, you don't know what to claim. When you're in a rough situation, when things are bad, you don't have money, your health is broken, your relationships are broken. How do you know how to fix that if you don't know the things that God has promised? If we don't read his word, we don't know all of the things he's given us. 
if you had a relative who passed away and they said, I'm going to leave a will that's going to detail everything I want to leave to this person. Would you take that will, fold it up, stick it in your back pocket and say, someday I'm going to read this. Your relative was very wealthy, very rich. They owned land, they owned cattle, they owned uh, properties. And yet, would you take that will, that inheritance, would you fold it up, stick it in your back pocket and say, I'll read it later. Oh no, honey, you would open that thing. You would pour over it every word to see everything that your relative had left you. Amen? That's exactly what you would do. It's what I would do. If someone who had great wealth in my family said, here is your inheritance, I would pour over every word to know what they had left me. Yet God has left you an entire Bible, an entire list of things he's left you. Yet do you pour over it looking for those things that you can get? See, this says right here, if God has erased your sins, then you are blameless. If you are blameless, you are blessed. You are blessed to know that God doesn't hold your mistakes against you. God doesn't hold your past against you. He doesn't hold your present against you either. We still make mistakes every day, say things we shouldn't say in the heat of the moment. That stuff still happens. But yet we know we have God's forgiveness because his word tells us so. And it says this, we live according to his instructions, how he tells us to live, how he tells us to treat each other. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. It's repeated again in the Bible over and over again. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me. There's a promise. You will seek me and you will find me, but when you seek me with all of your heart. A lot of people pray at the last minute out of desperation, not out of faith. They don't pray out of faith that God will hear, that God will answer, that God will come through. They pray at the last second like a Hail Mary pass in football. You throw that thing up and you pray that someone catches it downfield. That's a desperation move. People pray in desperation instead of in faith. And God would look at the person who says, you're praying words, but who are you praying to? Why are you praying? You're just throwing it up into the quote-unquote universe. When people say things like, I don't know what the universe has for me, it boggles my mind. What universe are you talking about? What do you think is out there that's going to guide you or lead you or take you through? Are you praying to the stars? Because the stars pretty much don't hear you. They're little burning balls of gas in space. That's all they are, stars. Planets are just rocks circling stars. That's it. But there's a God out there who both hears and answers. But you don't pray to him. You pray to the universe. And I look at that and it breaks my heart. Keep going. Psalm 86, 11 through 13 says this. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. What truth? That Jesus Christ is the Lord, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that Jesus Christ hears and receives. He is the one who said, if I go away, I will come back and take you that where I am, there you may be also. Do we cling to that when we come to the last days of our life? When we come to the end of life, are we sad because we're leaving this or are we at peace because we know where we're going and we know what we're going to? See, that's my, that's my whole thing. My friend, my friend out there who's going through this rough time, everything's been taken away. Everything's been taken away from him. His family, his job, even his health. 
yet he knows that there is a God in the darkness who, when he prays, God hears and is doing something in his life. That's why he doesn't despair. The psalmist said, I would have despaired, I would have given up if I did not believe in a God who would bless me in the land of the living, not after I'm dead, but in the land of the living. That's why you got to stay on track. That's why you got to you know, go through. It says this, that I may walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. There's that phrase again. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, from the depths of the place of the dead. Many people feel like this is already hell. I asked one guy once, do you fear hell? He said, no, I live there. I, I, they said, this life is hell. The next life has to be better. And I said, oh, contraire, mon frere. The next life is only going to be better if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the truth that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. They don't want to know that. But it's our job to let them know that the only hope in existence is that relationship with the Son of God. And we have to tell them, we have to tell them. And we go on here and he says, uh, you know, says that those who follow you do nothing wrong. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. The word diligently means with force. It means to, to do repetitively, to do the same thing every day. There's people who uh, get up every morning and take a five-mile walk. And they do it every single day and they have done it for 30 years. That's cool. That's diligence. That's sticking to it. Are there people who get up and pray every day? I listened to Charles Stanley today, and he says every morning he doesn't start until he prays. And he said that even after all these years, his mother long gone, every night she would take him by the arm, put him on his knees before the bed, and they would pray for God's guidance. And to this day, he still does it diligently. Why? Because she modeled prayer for him. And we need to model diligence for those who are around us. We need to make the, the, the following of God a thing of utmost importance, utmost seriousness. And yet, a lot of people treat God as if, well, if I, if I take a couple weeks off from God, that's okay. He'll be there when I get back. Really, what if you don't make it back? What if in the middle of that two weeks, it's your time to go? Then you meet the Lord going, where were you, where were you the last week? You know, son, daughter? Because I sure didn't hear you talking or praying. Is it going to make you lose your salvation? No. But it will take away your joy in this life. You understand that? If you are a Christian and you don't pray, you don't read the word of God, you don't stay focused on your father, you will still be saved. But you will find no joy in this life because the source of joy, happiness, blessedness is in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And the last phrase I want you to see in this little section is this. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Circle the word when. When is very important. It means in my learning. So in the midst of my learning your precepts, in the midst of my learning your word, then, then I have this sincere heart. Then I learn about who you are. It means to be in the practice or the act of learning them. You are diligent to come before God, you stay on that course, you keep that track. Why? Because in the midst of that, 
you learn God's righteous judgments. You learn about who he is. You learn about what he's doing. And praise is the result. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your precepts. When I know what you're doing. When I know what your plans are. When I know what you have for me. Then I praise you because I see it in my life. How many people do you know who wear the name Christian are the most joyless, sour, wicked people you've ever met in your life. I know people that can come out of church and they can sass their children or their parents or their, or their pew mate within an inch of their life right outside the front door of the church. It's like when you're in here, you're afraid to say anything. Like going to your grandparents' house, a child should be seen and not heard. I understand that. That's how it was when I was a kid. You sat down, you shut up, and you let the adults talk. So when we're at church, we sit down and we shut up and we let the adults talk. I don't know why. But when you get outside, you figure, whew, freedom, now I can be myself. Well, if that's yourself, that's who you are in here, God's not fooled. God is not fooled by what we pretend to be in church. It should be who we really are. In here, this should be a reflection of day-to-day life. And that's the best part of it. So you got to stay on track. If you want a life full of gratitude, stay on that track. Stay in that word. Stay with prayer. Stay in that pursuit of God. When I was chasing my wife, that was my sole goal in life, to get that woman. Okay? I made every effort to pursue her until I caught her. Actually, I just wore her down. That's all I was to it. Here's the thing. After you get them, here it comes. It's part two. So you're on track till you get it. And then two, you got to keep seeking the kingdom. You got to keep working on the relationship. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Boy, is that a question for the ages. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word, by keeping the word of God. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. The psalmist knew men's hearts are prone to wander. We're caught by curiosity. We're like those dogs in the movies, you know. Ooh, something, a squirrel. There it goes, a squirrel. And then we get distracted. I always say I have an attention span of about five seconds. I'm, I'm good on something until I go, ooh, something shiny. And then I'm lost. I've lost it all right there. So a short attention span. Human beings have short attention spans. We are focused on the Lord for maybe an hour, but then our attention wanders. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I love this. The word treasured is the word protected. That's also the word protected. It means to defend or to keep safe. Now, when you have the word of God presented to you, the word of God will challenge the world. It will challenge science. It will challenge popular opinion. All you have to do is watch the news and know that the news has nothing to do with the word of God. It has to do with all of men's thoughts, all of men's thinking, all of men's presuppositions, but nothing to do with the truth. So here's the thing. If I want to protect the word of God in my heart, then I need to make sure that once I put it there, I defend it. How do you defend the word of God? The same way you do anything. If it's in the New Testament, you need to find it in the Old Testament. If it's in the Old Testament, you need to find it in the New Testament. You need to cross-reference. Keep looking at how God's Word is consistent and put Scripture on top of Scripture on top of Scripture and create a wall to defend 
the word of God in your heart. Don't let anyone tear down what you've been taught in the word of God. Don't let anyone tear down or question. I see so many people who are Christians and they go, well, yes, I, I believe the word of God, except those first 11 chapters of Genesis. Those are just stories. We don't know that's true. Or, oh yeah, I believe the New Testament, except when it says this thing over here or it says that thing over there. And of course we know that wives should not have to obey their husbands because nobody believes that anymore. Sorry to say, that's still true. That is still true. That whole section of Ephesians that we were in last week, I just didn't go into the next section because there's no Thanksgiving in that. Trust me, we'll deal with that sometime. But here's the deal. You have to keep protecting the word. You have to make sure that if someone makes a challenge against the word of God, you go look it up. You go find it. Oh, your Bible has so many contradictions. Really? List them and I'll look them up. And they can't give you a list. They don't know. They've heard, but they've never seen with their own eyes. You need to see with your eyes. You don't need to believe it because I said it. Please, for the love of Jesus, don't believe it because I said it. Because you know how bad my memory is. But if you get in the word of God and you reference it and you look at it and you study it, then you know it's true. Then you will never let go. You will never allow it to be torn down. You will defend it with your life. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I have treasured your commands because I want to live in a way that pleases you, Lord. That's why I'm here, to please you. Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I will proclaim all the judgments of your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I am more proud of your word than I am whatever I've accomplished. Oh, you're an NFL star and you've got six Super Bowl rings. Great, but you're also a Christian. You hold up the word of God above everything else. Oh, I've made this kind of money and that kind of money and I own this this much land and I own this many trucks and I own this, this, this. I've done all of this. But the single most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said, when it comes to the Old Testament, he says, I am the perfect Jew. I have kept all the laws. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but I counted all trash compared to knowing who Jesus Christ is. Is that the most important thing in your life? Is it the most important knowledge you possess? Not how to make money, not how to build riches, but how to listen to and defend the word of God? Because that's what should be the most important thing. So he says this, I will rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now consider this. I have treasured your word in my heart. So I've not, I will not sin against you. Luke 2.19 uses the same word. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. When the, when the wise men came or the shepherds came, she was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And she kept all of that memory. She kept all of it. How do you think the New Testament writers knew what happened in that stable? How do you think they knew what happened when the wise men came, when the shepherds came? Because Mary told them. Jesus was a baby. Joseph may or may not have been around. We don't know. But we know this. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And when the apostles came to Mary and they said, tell us 
about the story of our, of our Savior, of, of our Lord. And she said, well, Gabriel came to me. Gabriel came to Joseph. We got married, went to Bethlehem, hung out there. Here come the, the shepherds. Two years later, here came the wise guys. She told them what happened because she treasured it and pondered it in her heart and that she could pass the truth along. You are a living repository of the word of God. Only you know how God's acted in your life. Only you know what God has shown you. Only you know what God has done. You don't need to take that to the grave. You need to tell people. I've heard the joyful noise. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you what he's done for me over all of these years. That's our job. But he goes on. He says this. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes, right? James 1, 23 through 25. If anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. If we read the word of God, and then as soon as we've read it, we close the Bible, put it on a shelf, and don't think about it again, what good does it do us? None. You can read a passage, you can read a cookbook and have a recipe, follow the recipe, wind up with an awesome sweet potato pie. But if you don't memorize that thing, if you don't put that thing in your memory and remember what cookbook it's in and you put it on a shelf with other 10,000 books and then one day you want that recipe and you can't remember where it was, you can't remember what it was, then it's lost. The scriptures that we read some people write them down in their daily journal. Some people write them down in their daily planner. Some people commit them to memory because they are so vital and so important to life. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hide it in your heart. You don't have to ask, is this what a Christian does? You know what a Christian does because you put those scriptures into your memory. Says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, meaning staying with it, staying in the word, staying with the word, reading it again and again, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. There's the key, people, the doer who acts. You've read the word of God now. This week, what do you do with it? Who do you share it with? What, do you, what application do you make of it? There's something you can do every week to live out what you read in the scriptures. Maybe there's a person you need to call. Maybe there's a letter you need to write. I know that's kind of archaic, but some people still do write letters or emails or Instagrams or whatever those things are. Because there's people that do that to share with others what they are learning, what they are knowing. Because they are not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. You want to be blessed? You want a life that is full of blessing and joy? Do something with what you learn from the word of God. Put it into effect. Find 10 things that you could do with it this week. Maybe, maybe those things are every morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to grab a little commentary and I'm going to flip it open to that day and I'm going to read that scripture and, and at noon I'm going to flip it back open and read it again and at dinner I'm going to open up, flip it, and read it again and probably a piece of it will stay in your mind. A piece of it will stay in your heart. Or I've read scriptures in the morning and gone, oh my goodness, that is, that is the day I had yesterday. So I take that 
experience of yesterday, I put it to the word I read today, and it becomes a part of who I am and how I act. Thanksgiving has to go on past Thursday. Thursday, yeah, you're thankful for that turkey, and then you're thankful for that turkey coma and that long nap on Thursday. Friday, you still have a bit of a coma going on. That's okay. But what do you do out of gratitude to the God who gave you all of those things to be thankful for? What do you do with it? Who do you share it with? When my mother-in-law was in the hospital getting dialysis, um, one of the reasons she came to Christ in that hospital was not because her son-in-law was a preacher. That wasn't why she came to Christ. She came to Christ because the nurses were Christians. And those Christian nurses witnessed to her and shared with her and loved on her and, and ministered to her while she was getting dialysis for those nine or ten years. You see, that's the amazing thing. In the Philippines, people aren't afraid to share their faith in Christ. They haven't been shamed into silence like we have in America. They haven't been embarrassed and told they can't share their faith. When you're in a hospital, you're going to get shared with. And that's just the nature of the beast. And I love it. What do you do with what you've received? Do you have the attitude of gratitude? Do you want to stay on track? Do you want to like, let every day be saturated with God's word or saturated with prayer? You know, you can, be, you can get up every morning and just pray for your mom. Pray for your daughter. And then whatever happens that day that comes across your way, you pray for it. You know, I know students oftentimes pray that the teacher will have an, uh, an attack of amnesia and forget there's a test today. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. But it does happen. You know, when you get out and play football, pray that nobody gets hurt. Put it before God that nobody get hurt and that everybody come through well and strong. It, it sounds like a silly thing, but it's not a silly thing when you realize God is able to answer all those prayers. And no matter what happens, keep, keep seeking the kingdom. Keep looking to do something with what you've just learned. You've learned it, now do something with it. That's the joy of Thanksgiving. Now next week we start Christmas. Next week we are not going to do a traditional Christmas. We are not going to do the Advent wreath. The Lord put it on my heart. We're going to do a Dickens Christmas this year. So you already know I love a Christmas carol. You already know what that means. We're going to be making some applications from the Word of God directly to that book, directly to the lives that we live here today. And I'm excited to do it. You know what? Let's pray.